The April 20th Mindful Parenting Retreat Day is filling up fast. Join me and other parents in Wilmington, Delaware for a day of rest and relaxation, mindfulness and mindful communication practices, and a live podcast too. And my special guest for the live podcast is, drumroll please, Lynetta Willis. You know her from episode 366 and 400. She is a psychologist and sought-after speaker who teaches her Triggered to Transformed program to struggling parents. Join us and bring a friend to this powerful day-long retreat in Wilmington, Delaware on April 20th, 2024. But hurry, space is limited. Go to mindfulmamamentor.com slash retreat to get your spot now. That's mindfulmamamentor.com slash retreat. I want parents to have hope. There really is a lot that can be done, especially with anxiety. We know how to treat anxiety. There's no reason to suffer without care. You're listening to the Mindful Mama podcast, episode number 278. Today, we're talking about how to help kids face their fears with Dr. Ode Hennen. Welcome to the Mindful Mama podcast. Here, it's about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. At Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have, and when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm your host, Hunter Clark Fields. I help smart, thoughtful parents stay calm so they can have strong, connected relationships with their children. I've been practicing mindfulness for over 20 years. I'm the creator of Mindful Parenting, and I'm the author of the best-selling book, Raising Good Humans, a mindful guide to breaking the cycle of reactive parenting and raising kind, confidence kids. Hey, welcome back to the Mindful Mama podcast. I am so glad you are here. I'm so excited to dive into this episode, but first I just want to say hello to you. Thank you. I really appreciate you taking the time to spend some time with me and my awesome guest. And I can tell you this is going to be a super valuable episode because in just a moment, we are going to be sitting down with Dr. Ode Hennen. She is co-founder and co-director of the Child Cognitive Behavior Program and clinical director of the Child Resiliency Program at the Department of Psychiatry at Massachusetts General Hospital and an assistant professor of psychology at Harvard Medical School. She's got the goods on this subject. She specializes in the assessment and cognitive behavioral treatment, CBT is what we're going to talk about, of children with mood, autism, spectrum, disruptive behavior, and other anxiety disorders. So this episode is all about fears. As children get older, they begin to realize just how big the world is, and it can trigger fears and create anxiety. And so they're looking to us for reassurance and guidance and how can we give that best? This is going to be a really valuable episode for you. We're going to talk about helping children cope with stress, anxiety, and OCD, and how to help our children work towards facing their fears. And we're going to also talk about when to recognize when our children need additional support. So you're going to learn effective tools for dealing with difficult emotions, what anxiety looks like when it's expressed at different ages. And I know that you are going to get so much out of this episode. Before we do, I just want to give a shout out. Haven't done this in a while, but I want to give a shout out to Kimberly for her five star review on Apple Podcasts. She said it's the best podcast and she was just so kind and exuberant. I just really appreciate that, Kimberly. And she said that I don't listen to every episode of other podcasts I subscribe to, but I never miss an episode of this one. And I'm constantly sharing episodes with others when they have a question on something. 
there is an episode for that. <laughs> so cool. That makes me smile. You have no idea. So thank you so much, Kimberly. I appreciate your five-star review. It means a lot to me and it helps the podcast get to more ears. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I want you to dive into understanding how to help children take care of their fears. So let's dive into this episode with Dr. Ode Hennen. Ode, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Um, actually, is it okay if I, I didn't add, I'm calling you Ode, but do you want me to call you Dr. Hennen? Ode is perfectly fine. <laughs> and thank you for having me on. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm glad to talk to you. I think that, you know, you can help us with so many different ailments that are kind of happening in this, in this time. Um, but I obviously anxiety is such a huge anxiety and stress is such a huge thing that's that's going on right now and um the the listener may not know this yet but i like i i was just, just sharing with you my my own daughter my 14 year old got diagnosed positive for covid she's asymptomatic she's the most careful out of all of us and she, we think she might have happened in a swim practice but anyway there's no like, <laughs> there's no like health things, but it's hard. It's like yeah. scary and anxious. And that first night, no one slept really well. Um, there's a lot of stuff. I mean, then this is yeah. just me and that's pretty like a minor thing. I know there's so much more going on for so many people, but like, maybe you could talk to us, start us off a little bit by like, what, what are you seeing what's happening for, for kids and, and teens and as far as anxiety that since, yeah. since the pandemic? So as you're saying, anxiety really has been at the forefront of kids' experiences, um, you know, since the beginning, I, I think the amount of uncertainty, of unpredictability, of change has been so hard for everyone, but especially kids and teens. Uh, and it's hard because we as the adults don't have many, if any, of the answers. Uh, and so we're all kind of muddling through as best we can. But for, for kids, it has been very, very stressful. Um, and we've seen, I, I think, the anxiety and the experiences have shifted over time. So I think initially uh, there was so much fear about the virus itself and um, and what that meant and what was going to happen. And, um, and then we've seen over time additional worries about family members who have had to go back to work who are um, on the front lines and their health, worries about uh, finances um, and parental unemployment, worries about school, worries about friends. Uh, so it just sort of keeps uh, keeps adding up, um, and I, I think what we're also starting to see, unfortunately, a lot of is a lot of depression, mm -hmm. uh, a lot of withdrawal. Um, we're starting to see increased suicide rates and um, mm -hmm. suicide attempts. Um, it's been a very long year, and I think people's resiliency is starting to get stretched pretty thin, unfortunately. Yeah, even in even in my own family with a, a, you know, my 14 year old, I consider her a really resilient kid. You know, she has a lot of resources. She's pretty grounded, but she'd been a little, definitely a little depressed, like over the winter. And now I don't, I don't know. I can only at the moment <laughs> we're in quarantine. I can only FaceTime her from downstairs yeah. while she's upstairs. Yeah. So I don't know what's going on with her, but I imagine, I think she's, I'm, uh, 
from what I understand from our conversation, 12 feet away from each other in the woods that we had the other day <laughs> outside of our house, it, it, it's, it's, she's pretty depressing. That's, yeah. that's, you know, that this is like in a, a, a pretty well-resourced yeah. household. So yeah. if you're having all these other challenges, yeah, yeah. it's gotta be an, an, an enormous, I mean, there's going to be a kind of like a, a tidal wave of effects I imagine from this collectively. I absolutely. And I, I, I think we're going to see the effects even when things get back to quote unquote normal. I think mm -hmm. those effects will also persist, right? Mm -hmm. So these aren't light switches uh, of emotion that you turn off and on. Um, so I think it's going to take a while for for kids and teens and young adults to to rebound. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and even the even the return to school or return to a more typical function, I think is also very anxiety provoking. Yeah. It's another big change. And even though it's positive, I, we're hearing a lot of kids express a lot of anxiety and stress around what that's going to look like, what that's going to mean, how they're going to adjust to this new schedule yet again. Uh, so I, I think the stress is not quite over yet. Yeah. Like that was one of the big reasons. That was the reason we wanted her tested was like, so she could go back to school for her mental health. It's yeah. so like ironic, yeah. you know, it's like, oh yeah. my God. And that was the only reason we caught the positive diagnosis. Yeah, yeah. So that, that is a, that's a big transition too. Um, what, you know, for kids who are, I mean, for younger kids, I mean, I'm curious about how we can kind of spot when kids are having anxiety and, and you may need to answer this versus like for younger kids versus older kids. Cause I guess what I'm personally seeing now in my older kids now is that like, you know, they are immersing themselves in this, like, like lots of Minecraft and, yeah. and things like that, that which maybe is withdrawal. I'm not sure. So um, talk to us a little bit about what are some of the like signs that we're seeing um, issues and things come up around this. Yeah, so so you're absolutely right that the age of the child, the develop the their developmental level makes a big difference in how they express it. And there's also a lot of individual differences. And you know, a certain amount of anxiety and disheartenment is completely normal. Uh, I think we're all experiencing yeah. a fair amount of that. Yeah. Um, and for younger kids, they because they lack the the language to express. Uh, some of their fears or, or, or worries, they may exhibit it more behaviorally. So for some kids, we're seeing um, that they're more clingy or whiny, um, that old fears that have gotten better may be coming back, um, that they may be anxious to be away from parents or afraid of the dark um, or having trouble sleeping on their own. Um, they may be regressing in behaviors like toileting or thumb sucking. Um, you know, they may have tantrums and kind of act out a little bit more. Uh, and then for older kids, some kids are, are really able to express what's on their mind and they'll, they'll share what their worries and fears and concerns are. But some older kids too, just sort of try to, as you're saying, shut things out and distract themselves and not think, not feel. Um, and for a lot of kids that's uh, using technology, um, social media, uh, TV, because there's not a whole lot else available, honestly, to them. Um, I think you know, for even older teens, some of them might be experimenting with substances more or um, you know, trying other ways to not feel the negative feelings that they're having. Um, and, and so I think it's really making sure that we check in with kids regularly because often mm -hmm. kids may not initiate those conversations. It's kind of hard for them. 
Um, so making sure that we, you know, that we're there and that we're checking in and asking how they're doing, asking what's on their mind, asking, you know, what they're, if there's anything that's causing them stress. Um, mm. Mm-hmm. And would you, would the lang would that be the language you use? You know, is there anything that's causing you stress? Like maybe that, that might work for my 11 year old, but I mean, like I see all those like comforting, distracting behaviors. You know, I see those, my, my 11 year old walks around the house with headphones permanently glued yeah. to her head, listening to Harry Potter or wings of fire. So <laughs> right. it's like d- distracting. Um, okay. Right. <laughs> and again, that's not that's not necessarily a bad thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's like comforting, right? It's comforting and we all need something. And, um, you know, any, we always say that any coping strategy is fine. It's if it's getting overused, right. Mm. When people have only their one go-to strategy that they use all the time, it gets a little bit less helpful. Mm. Mm -hmm. Um, so sometimes you try to diversify a little bit, um, making sure that they're still sometimes going outside or, uh, you know, connecting with friends or, um, connecting with family or doing an activity that isn't, um, involving the phone or, or uh, some other screen. Um, and I, I think you can, um, you can offer it to kids and they may not take you up on it, mm-hmm. but just knowing that you're there and paying attention to signs that they are in a place to talk and trying to capitalize on that is a really good thing to do. Um, you know, sometimes kids will just like, no, I'm fine. I'm good. You know, the one word answers that kind of say, I'm not, kind of in that space. But then other times, for example, if you're riding in the car together, that's often a good place where kids will talk or, you know, at, you know, at bedtime, if you're just kind of snuggling or reading together, those are times where they might open up a little bit and just, Mm -hmm. just listening Mm -hmm. and allowing them to talk and not jumping into, well, have you thought about doing this? Have you talked, Mm -hmm. talked to this person? Or have you thought about this or that? And just allowing them to express and just reflecting back can really allow them to open up so you can get a sense of what's on their minds. Um, And that can even sometimes be a habit that then kids, if it's a positive experience, might be more likely to do that again. You know, some healthy skepticism in my life has served me well. And if you're like that, if you can spot a too good to be true health hack from about a mile away, you read labels like it's your job, congratulations, you're a skeptic. And Ritual knows that every good skeptic deserves a multivitamin that exceeds your standards. I take Ritual's Essentials for Women 18 Plus every single day, morning and at lunch, and I am feeling great. I love this vitamin. Ritual's Essentials for Women is USP verified, so you know you can trust what you're putting in your body. Only about 1% of supplement brands on the market have the USP verified mark, which shows the product contains the ingredients actually listed on the label. Plus, Ritual Vitamins are vegan, non-GMO, project-verified, gluten and major allergen-free, certified B Corp, and made traceable. They select lower carbon packaging, they prioritize sustainably sourced ingredients, and set ambitious climate goals. Plus, Ritual is a female-founded B Corp, which means they are responsible to the health of people and our planet. No more shady business. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash mindful. Start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash mindful for 25% off. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence 
whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. Yeah, I mean, I'm curious about like, you know, we've we've talked about anxiety in a couple of different ways here. Mm. And like we we as parents worry that our kids might be worrying, right? Yeah. And so we want to help them, but then we may, you know, it can it be that parents um kind of exacerbate a problem by like making their kids think I have a terrible problem by offering all this like help. You know what I mean? Like there's a a line there, right? Like we want to be listened, we want to be present, but, and, and we do want, we want to have our kids to have coping skills, but is there a line where it's like, um, I keep offering you all this coping skills. Mom keeps offering me all these coping skills. There must be something terribly wrong with me, you know? So t- yeah. tell me a little bit about that. <laughs> no, I, I think that's a fair point. And I don't think you want to be micromanaging. If you keep asking a kid, are you sure you're okay? I don't know. Are you sure? Are you sure? Then kids will start to wonder, maybe I'm not. Um, yeah. So I, I, I think of it more as a casual conversation uh, rather than a probing interrogation. Um, <laughs> and, if, and, and some kids really are fine. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't assume that all kids are str- suffering or struggling. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I, I'm also cautious about offering too much advice and too many coping skills. I think kids are getting a little bit tired of being taught how to cope all the time. <laughs> That might be true. Yeah, that's probably a danger like myself and my listeners are in in danger of like offering. That's what I keep, I was thinking of, like offering too much, you know, too many strategies and things like that. I, I think the key is to to be frequently reading the child and, and recognizing who your kid is and what tends to work for them. You know, if they have never been interested or wanted to do uh, a, a a peaceful meditation, that's okay, right? They don't have to do that. And I think the more we try to push it on them and make them, the more resistant they become, but maybe there are other ways that they meditate or are mindful that works for them. You can be mindful playing basketball. You can be mindful listening to music. You can jump on a trampoline. So there's, I think really knowing who your kid is and making sure that whatever tools we suggest or encourage really fits them, uh, I think is really important. I think this is all pointing back to parents' own and coping with their own anxieties, right? Rather, because what, when, if we're offering 10 bazillion tools to our kids, it's obviously, it's not about our kids' anxiety there. It's really our own anxiety that we yeah. have to practice taking care of our own feelings so that we can just be more just accepting of our children for who they are. 
Absolutely. And I think that's one of the really hard things about this pandemic is we are all in it together. It's not that the kids are experiencing something like middle school, which we can remember, but are not in the throes of and can help with. We're all muddling through our own stress, anxiety, and difficulty at the same time. And your point is also important that kids pay attention to what we do more than what we say. And I think we've all been humbled that you know, we're telling our kids not to be on screens, but we're on our phones 24 seven, you know, as well. And so um, modeling other ways of coping and having it be um, kind of in the water as opposed to um, talked about is helpful. Mm -hmm. Okay, all right, cool. So we wanna look for, in younger kids, we wanna look for who lack language. We wanna look for regression. Um, and maybe behaviors. Yeah. Uh, and then for older kids, we're looking for, uh, we're, 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 we're trying to be there to just listen and to kind of be a sounding board and be, and just be in tune with what's going on. So that requires us putting down our phones and yes. <laughs> looking and listening and being attentive, being present to kind of what's going on, you know? Okay. So if we, if we, how, how do we know if it's a, a mental health issue that a kid needs help from, from somebody professional? That's a really good question. Um, so in general, we think about um, a, a, an emotion or a, a behavior as being um, more concerning if it is persistent, uh, if it is really intense and distressing, or if it's interfering in the child's life. So if it's keeping them from doing things that they need to do or want to do, um, then we might uh, consider uh, and recommend professional help. Um, at the same time, I also think that we often wait too long. Um, so, you know, many of my colleagues say that only in the field of psychology and psychiatry do we wait until things are terrible to treat. So in cardiology, you would never say, well, you know, you have high cholesterol and there's some blockage and, uh, you know, some arteries, but when you have your first heart attack, that's when you should come see me. <laughs> and in psychiatry, we say, well, you know, you're really struggling, but you're still going to school and you seem really unhappy, but you're not expressing suicidal thoughts. So, you know, we're just going to kind of wait. So, so not yeah. that I think that everybody should be in therapy or in treatment, but I, I just think sometimes we, um, it would be easier and, and maybe more beneficial to intervene earlier, mm -hmm. uh, even if things are low level. Um, mm -hmm. It's easier to work with an anxiety that is newer or that isn't severely interfering as opposed to waiting till it is. Mm -hmm. um, and I think there's lots that can be done at every level, um, even by parents to, to support their kids um, when they're experiencing these things. I appreciate that point of view. I think that's, that can be helpful for parents to say, oh, okay. And if we're saying, well, we could get help, even though this isn't such a huge, big problem, we're normalizing getting help in our lives too. Right. So, yeah. so that has exactly. an added benefit. Um, okay. So then what, what are things that parents can do to help their kids cope? No, understanding that we don't want to go overboard with our overboard. coping yeah. offers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And no. And, and, and it's a good, it's a really good question, right? So, and, and, and knowing what you can do is helpful. 
And, yeah. and, you know, but also knowing that kids will come to it and accept it when they're ready and not a second before, that's also helpful to know. Um, so, so there's some of the basics and I, I'm sure everyone is saying this and I, I, but the older I get, the more I really appreciate that some of the tried and true, you know, everything that your grandmother ever told you you needed to do um, are actually really important. So we know that getting good sleep is critical um, and good sleep isn't just the amount of sleep, um, but also the timing. So the more regular schedules can be, and I know I have a almost 15 year old, so I, I know that that <laughs> sometimes feels almost impossible um, and making sure that the quality of sleep is good, um, getting outside, getting sunlight, um, getting physical exercise regularly, uh, having meaningful uh, or important things to do uh, is really key to mental health. So things that the child cares about, things that they're invested in, things that make them feel good about themselves, um, social connection, you know, all of these kind of basic things on which mental health is built have to be in place uh, or else none of our interventions really will be all that effective. Um, and then I think beyond that, uh, it, and in an individual way, so again, recognizing who the child is, thinking about what are skills that they can use to manage difficult situations. So it is important for kids to have challenges, to, to have the opportunity to flex a little bit their coping uh, skills. Now we're getting that in spades right now, so I don't feel like we need to add anymore. Um, and, and not to be overwhelmed by that, but to really have opportunities to practice things like problem solving. Right? Mm. When a situation comes up, how can you think through different ways of addressing it um, and evaluate those solutions and then come up with a plan. I um, love this so much because in mindful parenting, we teach a uh, win-win problem solving method. And I always ask every member to start with a positive problem, like what are we going to do this weekend or where are we going? And then and we go through a process to involve kids in the problem solving. And what's yes. beautiful about that is that kids learn this skill, right? That they need for their life. And so we can do that with a positive problem. Like, what are we going to do? And we can also, if we're in the habit of that, we can do that with challenging problems. Like, oh, like we've been all feeling anxious and depressed yeah. recently because it's like gray and about to snow five inches and we're stuck in the house because we're quarantined for 10 days. <laughs> for example. For example, <laughs> not, to, not to get too specific here. <laughs> I, I think what you're saying is so important and I love the idea of bringing kids into the problem solving even at a young age. Yes, uh, I think as adults, sometimes we tend to do it for them. And, and that's where we become solution generating machines. Um, but that is much less helpful than having kids involved in thinking through, obviously, in an age appropriate way, yeah. um, a, a, thinking through what to do and involving them in a genuine way in generating solutions. Um, yes. I think that's excellent. And I love the idea of a positive problem uh, as a starting point. All right. So sleep outside, sunlight, meaningful, important things to do. I know it's so funny because an exercise, you know, it's so funny because I've been thinking about those recently and it's like, oh, it's like cold and raining and my quarantine teen is stuck in her room. I'm like, honey, I'm yelling through the door. Do the seven minute work. <laughs> 
<laughs> so, so to be fair, I think a lot of what I'm saying is probably harder to do when you're in full quarantine. Yes, not yes, to- yes. Let's <laughs> not assume we're all in full quarantine. Yeah, I, I, I think yes. we might need to give quarantine a bit of a break. Um, <laughs> but outside of those 14 days, hopefully uh, yeah, implementing some of these things. Yeah. Um, and then learning how to tolerate, well, first identify and tolerate negative emotions. Uh, and this is where some of the mindfulness and acceptance mm-hmm. uh, and emotion regulation skills that sometimes there's nothing you can do about a situation. And so then all you can do is help yourself kind of survive it, get through it um, and tolerate it as best as you can. And I think those are also key skills that Um, that kids can and and need to learn. I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. (laughs) Well, you're Amy more of a we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts. When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play, and we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips. Yes, definitely. And, and you, um, you teach, um, you specialize in cognitive behavioral treatment, you know, CBT. I've heard, definitely heard a lot about that kind of, and it's branch off ACT, uh, acceptance and commitment commitment therapy. Yeah. 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 So, Tell us, tell us about that. And that, and that involves learning to tolerate and accept our difficult feelings, right? Yep. So, right. As you're saying, cognitive behavioral therapy is a set of different interventions um, that share some common features and also have some differences. Uh, And it's, it's a talk therapy, but the goal is to help Uh, people, including kids, learn tools to manage difficult emotions and to, you know, to be able to work towards their goals, whatever those may be. Um, And the idea behind CBT is that you can break down things like anxiety into different parts. Like you can't just not be anxious if you're anxious, right? Mm -hmm. That doesn't work. But um, anxiety involves body reactions. So there's the kind of fight or flight 
response that we all have when we're anxious. Um, there are specific thought patterns that go along with anxiety, uh, catastrophizing thoughts or what the what ifs, um, uh, for example. And then there are behaviors that go with anxiety. So um, when someone is anxious, they often try to avoid the situation that causes anxiety, which is a very reasonable thing to do, except that what we know is that the more people avoid, the more anxious they feel in those mm. situations. And that's a lot of where the interference comes in, in that you have to keep avoiding more and more. Uh, and that then will prevent you from not only mastering the anxiety, but also from doing things that you need to or want to do. Mm -hmm. uh, and so CBT addresses each of those component parts in treatment. And we work with kids or teens um, in sessions on these things and then have them practice the skills at home as well. Okay, cool. So I, I love that, that, you know, that's mindfulness, right? Like what yeah. are these body reactions? <laughs> what are these thought patterns, right? How can I see and clearly what is really happening? I'm having sensations in my body. I'm having these thoughts. I'm recognizing these thoughts. I'm seeing these behaviors. So that's all very, very clear think thinking, a clear seeing kind of stuff. And, and I imagine with kids, you might help them kind of scaffold a little bit, like start with something easy. Cause I'm, I'm, yes. I guess an example I think of this is like, like I think of my, my daughter wanted to get something, my younger daughter wanted to get something nice for my older daughter. And I said, well, you know, I said, we can walk to the convenience store. That's a mile away. Like we'll walk there together. You can go buy something. And my kids have this, and this is probably a very generational thing, have this like anxiety around just going into a convenience store and buying something, yeah. which to my mind is ridiculous. Cause like when I was seven, I was in the store buying gum, like a few blocks right. from my house that I had walked to by myself and they're 11, 14, you know? So it's like, but it's like a whole different generation. It's a yeah. whole, it's a whole different. new world. I know. Yeah. I understand that, but I want them to be able to walk into a store, you know? So, I mean, not that this is the anxiety that all kids are having, but just kind of thinking of an, as an example, you might mm -hmm. scaffold by, Right. I mean, tell, talk to me a little about this ode. <laughs> no, and, and you're thinking you, yeah, you're, you're, you're right on the money with that. So um, with kids, but even with anyone, if you, if you think about the ultimate goal, right. So if the ultimate mm -hmm. goal is to be able to go into a store by themselves and um, order something or buy something, we always sort of say, think about where you are now and mm -hmm. think about steps to get to that ultimate goal. Um, because what we want to do is help kids feel successful. Um, we want them to not get so overwhelmed that they can't do it and then avoid more because that's not going to help with anxiety. Um, and so thinking about, well, what, what's one step that, um, the child could do. So maybe it's, um, going in with, with you and standing next to you while you buy something or the next time, you know, and once they get comfortable with that, then maybe the next step would be you do the talking, but they hand the money mm -hmm. to the cashier. Um, and then maybe the next step is that they would do it, but you're right next to them um, and they're not on their own and so on. And, and you can really work with kids to create this kind of um, structure, these steps uh, so that they can eventually get to the end goal. And that's a lot of what we do in treatment. Um, and it, we want it to be collaborative. We want kids to feel empowered. We don't want them to feel that we're forcing them or manipulating them or tricking them. We mm -hmm. want them to walk out saying, Hey, 
I did it. That's awesome. It was a little hard, but I can do this. So what are some goals that kids who are suffering with anxiety bring into treatment that they're wanting to achieve? A lot of kids are maybe surprisingly motivated to feel better and to do things. And that's when we're doing our initial evaluation. That's what we're really trying to see. What, what is it that they want? What's the motivator for them? What, what would be different in their lives if they weren't feeling so anxious or so depressed? Um, and we really want to use that to guide treatment. And mm-hmm. so the particular goals might depend on um, the, the nature of the anxiety or, or how it's being expressed. So for some kids, uh, if they're very socially anxious and they find it very hard to interact with kids or adults that they don't know well, they might you know, want to be able to approach unfamiliar kids and talk to them or go to a party. Not that we're doing that these days, but eventually. Um, or uh, you know, some kids are really anxious about being away from their parents and they want to be able to stay home alone. Um, or uh, be able to go out without being very anxious. Um, so, so it really depends. But the, the model of structuring it in a gradual, systematic way is really the same, regardless of the specific nature of the anxiety. So like a parent who maybe has a younger kid who is regressing and is now having trouble going back to sleep, yeah. kind of from what I'm hearing from you, Ode, is that what a parent might do then is say, well, you know, I have a need for you to go to sleep on your own because I want to have an hour or two at the end of the night by myself and with my partner, this is important to me. You know, you would, you'd like to, how can we get there? And you might say, okay, you know, maybe, you know, I'll sit with you for five minutes and hold your Mm -hmm. hand and then I'll leave for three minutes and then I'll come and check on you or something like that. We start to, we start to think about what are those baby steps, but I probably like, we're, we're just kind of, I imagine it's like, we're really trying to like, not pathologize. Like, this is like, okay, this is what it is. And we're just coming in and saying, okay, how can I? Yeah. So tell me about that. Yeah. So the, the nice thing about this is that this is something that works for everyone. And this is something that we all have to do. Everyone is afraid of something or gets nervous in some situations. And the idea that gradually facing your fear is what makes it better is universal. Mm. Um, And so this is actually, I I think, one of the greatest skills we can teach kids. I always sort of say one of my favorite quotes is feel the fear and do it anyways. Mm. And it's something I try to practice in my own life, which is hard sometimes. And I really try to encourage. It is a natural reaction to want to avoid situations that make us feel anxious and uncomfortable. That is, there's no pathology in that. And having the skill to gradually override that so that you can do things that are scary, that's really cool and really important. Um, And so teaching that to kids is, I think, wonderful across the board. Um, And you're right. So when we're working on something like sleeping in your own bed or whatever it is, really involving the child and thinking about it in terms of um, being brave. We talk a lot about that. And being brave doesn't mean that you're not scared. It means that you're scared, but you're going to push yourself to do it anyways. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I think it's a really non-pathologizing way to, to address the anxiety and build a sense of competence and confidence. I, I think for myself, I get the, as like the super independent kid, like I was a child who was like super independent. Like my parents were never home and I was like walking around my town as a kid doing all kinds of things. 
I, and I imagine a lot, a lot of parents can get frustrated sometimes with their, a kid's fear and reluctance to, to kind of do certain tasks, you know, or, mm -hmm. or to may be afraid to take that, that step. And so when that situation is happening, what do you advise for, for the parents and for the kids? Yeah. So that it is very common for parents to be frustrated. And especially <laughs> when sometimes these things are affecting everyone's life. Yeah. Um, it's making it hard for the family to function. Or as you're saying, if parents aren't able to sleep uh, or uh, engage in other activities because they have to stay with their child all night, um, that, that takes a toll on everyone. Um, but it is important to stay calm and not get angry because that's as much as possible. That's not going to be helpful to the child. And, and the idea is that kids are really doing the best that they can. Um, they're not being willful. They aren't happy with the situation either. Um, they're just stuck. And mm -hmm. so we want to help unstick them and mm -hmm. getting angry and frustrated, frustrated, isn't going to unstick them. Um, and so the question is, well, what can the child do if they can't do what we're asking them to do? It probably means it's too hard, mm. but what can they do? I always sort of say the only option that's not on the table is doing nothing. That's the only one I, I kind of refuse to. Beyond that, I'm willing to think about anything that will help get us to the goal. Mm -hmm. And if you think about um, one, one way that we sometimes think about that be helpful is, is in terms of level of anxiety. So very few of us will do things that are an eight, a nine or a 10 out of 10. Mm -hmm. I don't know about you, but something that's a 10 out of 10, I stay as far away from as possible. And if I do it once, I don't do it again. I learned my lesson with the trap. I am not petting any spiders. <laughs> you know, I, I, um, yep. I had visions of myself flying through the air on a trapeze. And it turns out when I got up there, I'm really scared of that. And uh, yeah, that's not something I'm ever doing again. Let's just be clear. It was a little embarrassing um, when they have to lower you down slowly as you scream. It's oh, no. not particularly um, appealing. I can so feel you though. I think we have more anxieties about those as things as we get older. Like, and I did a, I did a, just a little digression. I did a, I did a, uh, a ropes, like high in the trees ropes course with my older daughter. When she turned 10, she's like, oh, I can do it with you if you go with me. And I'm like, I'm the brave one. Sure. Here we go, honey. And I had to like, clip her into these 50 foot trees and then there was a part where we swung like on a trapeze like into like a net and no one else was doing it but I was like ah! <laughs> like screaming bloody murder <laughs> it was like I didn't know how afraid I was going to be of that <laughs> right you know it's probably a good thing to be afraid of falling from high places through the air hoping yeah. that this little clip is going to save you. I, I have a healthy respect for that. Um, and, and so so I think we can relate to that because that's yeah. sometimes what seems like a minor uh, unreasonable fear to us is actually that level of fear for the child. Yeah. And so knowing that none of us are really particularly pleased with having to do those things. And if someone tried to force me to do it, I'd probably get kind of mad. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. You'd be really defensive. Yeah. Oh, it's so helpful to like put it into a fear we can relate to. Yeah. And we call it the fight or flight for a reason. We always forget about the fight part, but kids can get pretty angry and oppositional if we push them because that's, that's what we're designed to do. Mm. So rather than push 
it to an extreme where the child is going to be overwhelmed, have it be such a negative experience, they're unlikely to do it again. We want to think about shooting for a range, especially at the beginning, uh, along the lines of like a three out of 10. Mm. Right? So how can we make this situation a three out of 10, or maybe like at most a five out of 10? Because three or five out of 10 is unpleasant, but mm-hmm. you can tolerate it and you mm-hmm. might be willing to do it again. And so really working with your child to think about and have them tell you, well, this would be a a three, this would be a five, this would be a seven, that will help guide you as a parent in terms of where to push and where to back off. Mm. So again, we don't want to be at a zero. We don't want to sort of support complete avoidance and and not encourage them, but we also don't want to push them so hard that they can't do it. And really kind of shooting for that middle ground um, especially early on, I think is probably the most helpful way to think of it. Hmm. I think that's a very, a very helpful way of thinking of it. I really, I really appreciate that. Now, if, if a parent's saying, okay, I've, I've offered my kids many coping skills and, and I'm worried about my child. I mean, I'm just curious. I mean, I think for a lot of us, if we're not um, involved in that world, how does a parent like go about finding uh, a good, someone good for their parent, their child to talk to? I mean, and if they're saying like, oh, this CBT sounds amazing. How do they go? How do they find? I mean, this is probably a simple answer, but I, I think it's a question many of us have maybe. No, it's a very, it's a very important question. And I wish it were a simple answer, but especially right now, it's an incredibly difficult answer because uh, the need for child mental health care is far outpacing availability. Mm -hmm. And so I know many parents are really frustrated because their child is in severe distress and they're not able to get in to see anyone for months. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's a lifetime for a child. Um, So I often say the first place to start is with your pediatrician. So if Mm. you have concerns, uh, even minor ones, talk to your pediatrician. Many of them um, do have uh, connections with providers, psychologists, social workers um, who can offer some guidance or care. Um, They can also, some of them also also get training in um, behavioral health and can offer some, um, some interventions. Uh, talk to your child's school, partner with them. So really using the resources in the community and the supports that already are available um, to to not feel like you're having to do this all by yourself or on your own. Mm -hmm. Uh, For more uh, minor concerns, there are a lot of excellent books out there around how to support your child with anxiety. Um, And I'm happy to offer those references. Uh, There are some really- Sure, uh, do you wanna offer a title or two here? um, Yep, so uh, Ron Rapay's book, um, I think it's called Helping Your Anxious Child is an excellent one. Uh, And Tamar Chansky um, also has uh, a number of excellent books around anxiety and OCD that that are well-established. Uh, so those are great resources. Um, we'll try to get those into the show notes, dear listener. Yeah. Um, and I'm happy to provide the full reference in writing if that helps. Um, and then there's some great organizations that uh, have websites that are useful. Uh, so ADAA, the Anxiety and Depression Association of America is fantastic. And they have a number of resources uh, for parents and, and uh, kids um, uh, or if OCD is an issue, the IOCDF, uh, so the International OCD Foundation is another excellent resource. What um, are some signs of that? I mean, we all think of the like obsessive hand washing, I think, but what are some signs of that? Of OCD? So all kids have little rituals or routines and those are very normal, but 
again, when they become uh, excessive, so when they take a lot of time in the day, more than an hour, or when the child is extremely distressed uh, by them, or if they can't do the ritual, or if the rituals are getting in the way of the child's functioning, then we consider those a problem. Uh, and you mentioned hand washing, but often, especially with kids, those aren't the kinds of symptoms okay. that you see. Mm-hmm. Um, kids may have things such as symmetry. So needing to tap something with the other side of their body, if they've tapped it with one side, um, or they may need to do things again and again, a certain number of times until it feels right. Mm-hmm. may have special numbers that um, either are really bad or really good. So for example, they may have to avoid the number three. Um, but only have to do things four times. Um, Hmm. They may have a lot of um, rewriting or rereading. So needing to erase, for example, and rewrite until things are perfect or just so. Um, They may have um, touching rituals where they have to touch things a certain way. So so when we're thinking about OCD, it's really a pretty broad spectrum of, of potential behaviors, not just hand washing. And I think as we kind of wrap this up, I guess I would ask like kind of what are your kind of final words for parents? Because I can imagine there would be a lot of, if we're seeing anxiety in our kids, if we're seeing our kids suffering, if we're seeing OCD behaviors, a lot of parents do, we do a lot of self-blame. What did I do wrong? What's wrong with me? what, how, how, you know, these other parents, their kids are fine. My, what's wrong? What's wrong with me? What's wrong with us? What did I do wrong? As a parent, it's such a natural thing to look in words and feel guilty and blame ourselves. I think that kind of comes with the territory of being a parent, but it really, it's not about what you did. It's also hard to remember, but 50% of people by the time they reach 25 will have had or have a serious mental health condition. So it's really not unusual. I I think we act or think that this only happens to a few people, but it's really very common. And I want parents to have hope. There really is a lot that can be done, especially with anxiety. We know how to treat anxiety. There's no reason to suffer without care. Uh, And everyone is just doing the best that they can as parents. There's no guidebook. No one, you know, a lot of what we're talking about is so counterintuitive uh, and not part of how we think about parenting that it, it is not, it is not your fault. You did not do this. Um, and, but there is a lot that you can do to help your child. And I really want parents to be left with a sense of hope and, and promise and not despair. Uh, I really appreciate that. Ode. I think that's, yeah, I love just the, I love that. Like, you know, we, we know how to deal with this. We, we, there's help for your kid. Like it, it may be, you have to do some digging and some reaching, yeah. but this is figure outable. This yeah. is treatable. We can have happy, healthy kids on the other side of this. It may be hard now, but we can, we can make progress and, and make things better. Absolutely. Yeah, we want to take the long view. And I really think a lot of kids, even with this pandemic, will be okay in the long run. 
Yeah. I mean, hopefully it'll give them a lot more resilience ultimately. I'm just kind of crossing my fingers around that one. <laughs> or at least some great stories to tell. And you know, they'll be able to mm. tell their grandkids that they were in the pandemic of 2020. Yeah. <laughs> they'll the be like books. these old people saying, when I was in the pandemic of 2020, I couldn't even go to school. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, well, I really appreciate uh, your time. Thank you so much for for coming and sharing your expertise and your wisdom with us. I think it's incredibly helpful. Uh, Where can people find out more about you and the work you do? Um, Absolutely, and thank you for having me on. I so appreciate your focusing on this and giving me the opportunity to to share some of this with your audience. Um, So I am at Massachusetts General Hospital in the Department of Psychiatry. Yeah, you can look uh, for us, uh, for our website. Uh, It's the MGH Child CBT program. Uh, And um, I feel like I'm all over the net right now in various ways. So if you look me up, it's an unusual name, so it's not hard to find. Yes. Ode. A-U-D-E. I love that. (laughs) Great. Well, thank you again so much. It's been a real pleasure and I'm so glad that we can share this information and get it out to more ears. So dear listener, if you know somebody that this can help, please, please do share it. Thank you so much, Ode. Appreciate it. What a great episode, right? So useful. I really appreciate Ode's, you know, expertise and help. It's it's just so valuable. You know, this like learning how to take care of difficult feelings. We talk about this. It's a big part of what we do in the mindful parenting method. And it's so important. It's just something we weren't taught, right? So now we're teaching our kids, but we need to teach ourselves too. So, so, so valuable. I hope that this episode was helpful for you. I would love to see a screenshot of you listening to it, share it, take a screenshot and post it up in your Instagram stories, tag me at Mindful Mama Mentor. And I've been doing some reels and different things. If you're a podcast listener only, I have been doing some Facebook lives. I'm putting some on Instagram and doing some reels with the awesome Mindful Mama Mentor team behind me. I've had some space and time to put out some other awesome free content. So if you are interested in checking that out and joining the free Facebook group, just diving deeper, you know, taking this podcast and taking it deeper, you can go to mindfulmamamentor.com or find me on Instagram at mindfulmamamentor. And I've got all kinds of links there and links on the website that you can take it further, you know, and, and why not? Don't we want the best relationships we can have? It's so valuable. And don't we want to be present for this life? I was just sitting down with my husband, Bill, at lunch, and it's like a gorgeous day here in Delaware today. We're sitting down and talking about how useless worrying is and how, you know, there are truly so many things that could go wrong in every single moment, but there are also so many things that could go right and are going right in every single moment. And it really depends on where we put our attention. What we focus on grows stronger. So we appreciate that right now you have two ears that can listen and we can connect in that way. And, you know, you can breathe in and out and you may be able to have eyes that can see so many colors. There are so many things to worry about in every single moment, but that doesn't help us. And there are so many things to appreciate in every moment and that does help us. It's uh, part of moving away from that default mind that is not so healthy. So 
I hope you have a great week, my friend. I will be back in your inbox and in your ears, and I cannot wait to connect again. Thank you, thank you, thank you for choosing to spend this time with me. I really, truly appreciate it. I understand that time is our most precious resource, and so I feel really honored that you're choosing to spend it with me. So thank you. And I will talk to you soon, my friend. Namaste. Say definitely do it. It's really helpful. It will change your relationship with your kids for the better. It will help you communicate better. And just, I'd say communicate better as a person, as a wife, as a spouse. It's been really a positive influence in our lives. So definitely do it. I'd say definitely do it. It's so worth it. The money really is inconsequential when you get so much benefit from being a better parent to your children and feeling like you're connecting more with them. And not feeling like you're yelling all the time or you're like, why isn't things working? I would say definitely do it. It's so, so worth it. It'll change you. No matter what age someone's child is, it's a great opportunity for personal growth and it's a great investment in someone's family. I'm very thankful I had this. You can continue in your old habits that aren't working or you can learn some new tools and gain some perspective to shift everything in your parenting. Are you frustrated by parenting? Do you listen to the experts and try all the tips and strategies, but you're just not seeing the results that you want? Or are you lost as to where to start? Does it all seem so overwhelming with too much to learn? Are you yearning for a community of people who get it, who also don't want to threaten and punish to create cooperation? Hi, I'm Hunter Clark-Fields, and if you answered yes to any of these questions, I want you to seriously consider the Mindful Parenting membership. You'll be joining hundreds of members who have discovered the path of mindful parenting and now have confidence and clarity in their parenting. This isn't just another parenting class. This is an opportunity to really discover your unique, lasting relationship, not only with your children, but with yourself. It will translate into lasting, connected relationships, not only with your children, but your partner too. Let me change your life. Go to mindfulparentingcourse.com to add your name to the waitlist, so you will be the first to be notified when I open the membership for enrollment. I look forward to seeing you on the inside mindfulparentingcourse.com. Feel like you're the martyr in your family? You're not alone. Hey, this is Joanne. And Brie. And we're from the No Guilt Mom podcast. Brie, we talk to a lot of moms. Yeah, we sure do. And if you're a mom who has a to-do list that is so massive that you get overwhelmed and you shut down. Or if you fall into the habit of doing everything for everyone and don't know how to change it, we can help you become a No Guilt Mom. We're going to take you from family martyr to family model. That's role model. So that you role model the behavior that you want to see out of your kids. You're going to go from being tired and overwhelmed to energized and guilt-free. Every week, you'll get actionable strategies that you can implement right away from the experts that we interview and from us. We also have a whole lot of fun. So check out the No Get Mom podcast everywhere you listen to your favorite shows.